Magic Financing featuring Mago the Magician. They can help you get auto financing for anything in business for over 32 years. Magic Financing is dedicated to customer satisfaction. If you've got credit issues, they have the answer. No matter what your profile is, they can help. They work with people who have fair, bad, or just terrible credit, repayment history, as well as people who have no money down. That's right, no money down. They're located at 6385 North Federal Boulevard with a great auto inventory. Give them a call at 303-298-1155. That's Magic Financing. Features Mago the Magician. They're open Monday through Friday until 8 and Saturdays till 7. Check them out. That's Magic Financing. Call them today at 303-298-1155. Tell them you heard about it here at KUHSDenver.com. Also visit us at www.magicfinancing.com. Good afternoon and welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello. And boy, do we have an amazing show for you today. Uh, I just want to thank KUHSDenver.com for hosting the council here and being the platform where we can broadcast and bring you these kinds of shows to help illuminate, to help educate, to bring us together in a way that we couldn't possibly be able to do it. So thank you, KUHS Denver, for being the platform where the council is heard. We are broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado. Not only to just people here in Denver, but all across the nation and all across the world. Uh, people are tuning into the council from so many different countries. Thank you so much for trusting in us to bring you the best shows we possibly can. I also want to make a couple announcements. Uh, I have a book out. It's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. You can find it on Amazon.com. You can find it at StoreBookBaby.com. You can find it at uh, Barnes & Noble, and it's a self-help book for the soul. It talks about this period of history between 900 B.C. to about 200 B.C., this amazing period in history, uh, human history, that where all this uh, violence and suffering and trauma was happening, and these amazing teachers and masters and poets and philosophers were coming up with these ideas about how do we move through suffering? How do we be able to understand what's going on right now and how do we transcend it? And these, and these people didn't have any contact with one another. Uh, and so it led to all of our religious traditions today in Asia, led to uh, Confucianism and Taoism. In India, led to Hinduism and Buddhism. In Israel, went from polytheism to monotheism, which led to Christianity and Islam. And in, uh, excuse me, in Greece, it led to philosophical rationalism and Western civilization. So check it out. Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. You'll love it. It's, it's, it helps you to dive into what the, is inside of you that can carry you through times like this. So we will be talking about that more on a different show. I just want people to know about it. Also uh, to thank our sponsor, which is magicfinancing.com. Uh, if you need a car or used car here in Colorado, uh, they are the people to go to. They will take care of you. Tell them Charlie sent you. Our family has been getting cars from them for decades. And uh, they've always taken care of us, always have gotten the best car deal that we can get. Talk to Maurizio. He'll take care of you. Uh, you want your dream car. You need a, a work truck, a, a car that can get you from point A to point B. They'll take care of you. So go to magicfinancing.com. Okay. Today is a big day. We're talking about racism. We're talking about something that has obviously been on our minds and is in front of our faces for the last uh, three weeks at least. Uh, and it certainly has been something that I've been um, contemplating deeply. I'm, gonna, I'm a historian. I've been studying history uh, for a very long time. Uh, it was my undergrad degree, and I, I studied focused on American history. And knowing that uh, the endemic uh, racism that has been uh, problematic in our country since its founding, it was uh, probably, well, I think it, the first documented case of slavery was in 1619, and a boat came with 20 slaves to Jamestown, Virginia. And, and that was the introduction of slavery into um, 
into our into the nation. And so it's been there right from the beginning. And you know, it's so painful to watch and to know that we fought uh, a civil war to end slavery. Um, and then there was a Jim Crow laws that uh, continued with segregation and discrimination against black people. And it was institutionalized. And it led to uh, the civil rights movement with Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X to, to try to rectify what was begun in, with the end of the civil war but wasn't completed. And, and it continues that we, we still haven't quite reached uh, that promise that for all Americans that they could be looked at and seen not by the color of their skin but by the content of their character and what's in their heart. And, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about uh, in the last few weeks about slavery and about discrimination, about segregation, and what do I stand for? And, and where have I not stood up uh, for what was right? Where have I uh, allowed certain things to happen? And, uh, you know, I, I think about my friends that are in the military, the guys that I, uh, that I went to, that played football with at the academy, and, uh, you know, the people that went into the, to the academy with me, and great guys, love them to death. You know, what they had to go through uh, that they, I didn't know about or they kept secret, and I didn't ask them. Um, my friends that were in, in high school, that we, we had two to black people in high school, what that must have been like to, to go into school, into a place, and not try to fit in. And, uh, you know, we were young kids. We didn't know the difference at that time, but maybe you should have. Maybe I should have in the times where people said racist things, and I didn't do anything about it. I've come to the conclusion after this time that uh, wrong is wrong. We have to stand up for what's right. And racial injustice has been a plague on the American culture, society, and nation for far too long. It needs to be rectified once and for all that all men and women of all races are created equal under the law. They are equal. Now, George Floyd did not deserve to be denied the grace of mercy. What we witnessed in that, in that horrible um, murder, and it was, so, it was slow, and it just touched to the very core of this deep, ancient wound. Uh, and we witnessed uh, someone who was denied mercy, who was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And we all have to come to grips with that. Um, murder is murder. But this is bigger than George Floyd or, or Raymond Brooks. or um, all the, all, it's an, It was a trigger for an avalanche of pain felt by the black community for decades. No, 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 centuries uh, of injustices, murders, lynchings, and slavery. A mission of the council since I started this program was to be promote the respect and dignity of every human being. Every human being. I don't know what it's like to be black or what handicaps I would start out life with just because I was born with black skin. I don't. And this really struck home to me when I heard a black father on CNN when the, when the protests uh, were happening and the riots were happening, uh, describing the pain, this black father describing the pain that he feels for having to tell his young sons the truth, that they will be treated differently. He says they are too young now. The boys are six years old. But they're too young, and he can't break their innocence. He can't break their heart because that would be just shattering. But he's going to have to do it, just like his father did for him. And he lost his business. One of his businesses uh, are during the first few days of the riots in Minneapolis. And that really struck home because I wouldn't have to say that to my son or my children. I have never personally liked to ever see anybody mistreated, ever. It didn't matter what color, what gender, what creed, anything. I, have ne it is, I can smell injustice, and I've never, I've never liked it, never have. It makes me sick to my stomach. And we have to have that kind of clarity. We all know it. It's deep inside. It's ingrained in us. We know and we smell it when injustice happens. 
Today's show is dedicated to healing racism in America, to recognize the truth of what has been, where we are today, and what is possible in this moment to really make a difference. What we are witnessing and have witnessed on the streets all over this nation and all over the world are people who are protesting for a better, happier, and healthier world for everyone. And I believe to do that, we need to rise to the occasion, to choose our higher nature, not our lower, and see we are one human family. We cannot change the past, but we can influence and change the future. We can't change the past. The past is the past. It's done. It's over. We can't do anything about it. But we can learn from it. We can grow from it. And we can make from that better choices. We can influence the reality that is now for a better future for not only for us, but for our children and our grandchildren and our future. Our future uh, <laughs> loved ones. So how do we do this? We rise. Rise. What does it stand for? Well, there is, uh, there, it means the R is for respect. I is for integrity. S is for standing together for justice. And E is for elevate. My, there's a lot of acronyms out there, but this to me is what is foundational. These four virtues are the groundwork for creating a world where racism is a thing of the past. It's a marathon run. It's not a sprint. It's really important to get that. The arc of justice is long, but it is true. It's a marathon run, not a sprint, and we must cultivate these virtues consistently and daily. If I respect you and you respect me, we can live together in harmony. We don't have to like each other. Liking has got nothing to do with it. It's not the point. It's about treating others the way you want to be treated. The golden rule. I for integrity. If I'm living in integrity and you're living in integrity, that means we are both committed to doing the right thing, no matter what. It's a code of honor that you keep with yourself and, and, you, and you can't hold anybody accountable to the things you want to hold them accountable to if you can't hold yourself accountable to the same thing. And if so, you've got to hold that counter inside of you. What is right to do, to do the right thing even when nobody's watching? That's being in integrity. That's being in alignment. And then third, justice, excuse me, standing for justice, S. If I'm standing for justice and you're standing for justice, then we're all standing for justice. But the first two virtues must be in place. Respect and integrity. Otherwise, we can easily be persuaded, manipulated, or bribed to ignore what is just in a particular situation. And lastly, E, we must collectively make the effort to elevate each other, to bring out the best in each other, to see the true potential, to see the light within, to see every human being as a brother and as a sister, to help them to become who they were meant to become, to infuse their spirit and soul with grace, beauty, joy, love, and hope and peace. We can create a better world if we want to. It's truly in our hands. Now, my guest, who has been listening so attentively, and I appreciate her being patient with me, uh, is uh, such an incredibly beautiful, courageous, uh, amazing woman. Uh, and she, I, once all this was happening, I, I, I wanted to bring her on and, and to, to start this together in a way that could really make a difference uh, to a lot of people. Her name is Deanna Nicole Baxter. She's a director, actress, producer, and is a ruthless storyteller who addresses an opportunity for transformation through storytelling. A pioneer of the web, she co-created, co-wrote, and starred in Satocracy 88, the first web series to win an Emmy Award, and was nominated again the following year. She also took home the People's Voice Webby Award. A graduate of Duke University 
Her studies of literature and African women's studies took her to Cairo, Egypt, where she worked with famed activist and writer Nawal al-Sadawi. Returning to the States with a new worldview, Diana integrated her love for storytelling and passion for studies of marginalized women's voices with performance. Diana has been on, multiple, uh, on a multitude of television sets as an actress. Tell Me Your Secrets, Scandal, True Blood, Jane the Virgin, American Crime Stories, The Fosters, just to name a few. And she wrote, produced, and starred in her very first short film, Cowboy's Girl, which screened at Palm Springs International Short Film Festival, Toronto International Black Film Festival, the PAFF, and many other festivals around the country. Currently, her solo directorial debut, Epigenetics, is thriving in the festival circuit. She is also developing a limited series, Finding Lady, about Billie Holiday. Beyond creating stories, Diana embodies the transformation of body, mind, and spirit as a certified kundalini yoga teacher and certified transformational life coach. Her website is www.diananicolebaxter.com. That's D-I-A-H-N-N-A-N-I-C-O-L-E-B-A-X-T-E-R.com. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you for having me, Charlie. I'm so honored to be here, and it's so lovely to be in your company again, especially on this day, to talk about what we're going to talk about with the Juneteenth. So I'm just really grateful for this opportunity. Oh, well, it's, 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 it goes beyond words. <laughs> um, could you share with us what is important about today? I mean, you just mentioned that just right now, just a little bit about what Juneteenth is all about. So Juneteenth is holiday that we celebrate for our freedom. So the emancipation of slaves was January 1st, 1863, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until two and a half years later and Austin, Texas, Union soldiers came in and told them that they had to go to the slaves. So slavery continued for two and a half years. So even the slaves didn't know they were free at that point. So we celebrate this day as our true Independence Day, Juneteenth. Mm. Wow. And it's so important. I mean, it, uh, you know, our history is so important. Knowing that people and uh, what they live through, like we're living through right now and the history of that's going on right now and what people are, are struggling for and the lifestyle that, you know, the life that we're wanting to create for everybody. And in your bio, you talk about, I mean, you have so many diverse talents and gifts, Deanna. It's, it's incredible. Um, could you share with us just a little bit about why you chose to be a director and an actress, a storyteller, a ruthless storyteller who addresses trauma as an opportunity for transformation through storytelling? Yes. Um, well, you know, acting came to me. It was a, it was a safe space for me to express the dark places inside, right? Mm -hmm. When you're an actor and you, you're able to step into the shoes of another person to really dive into your empathy, you're able to those, access those parts of yourself that most likely you're probably not revealing in your day-to-day -day life. So that's why I fell in love with acting. And as far as trauma transformation, I love really taking stories that most people don't want to touch when it comes to family secret abuse, um, any kind of trauma you can think of, and really put it out there with no holds barred. Because something happens, the media is very powerful, so is the stage. But when an audience member is able to see themselves, someone else, and see their story told, especially those dark parts of ourselves, the traumatic ones, there's, there's an opening of their hearts that happens. They're able to see, see their story. They're able to know that they're not alone. They're able to actually shed the shame that they've been carrying around, mm -hmm. around whatever to them and through them. So I like to tell it how it is. I think that... Um, you know, 
we can define love in many ways, but love is justice as well. Mm -hmm. So when we, as a storyteller, I think it's really important to be loving and tell stories from a very honest point of view in mm -hmm. all sides so that we can really have a deep healing collectively. We can really fan the empathetic circle mm -hmm. because without empathy, we're just lying in our animal instincts and we, and we won't be able to create a world that we can all really truly thrive in as the human race. Yeah, no, empathy is, uh, is the antidote for so many things. Uh, you know, empathy can help uh, break someone out of the shame cycle and uh, being able to finally be heard and be seen and to understand what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes, what it's like to live in somebody else's world, to not be so judgmental and critical or, or, or ignorant. We can be very ignorant about things and how people have lived their lives and how things have affected them. You know, like racism and how, how, how that affects somebody, what it does to their psychology, what it does to their heart. And, Deanna, you grew up, you grew up in Minneapolis where uh, the murder of George Floyd happened, uh, which has led to this uprising, this tipping point, which I believe is uh, for the better for our race relations if we can grasp the significance of this moment. Now, a majority of white people are really beginning to see and look at the systemic racism that has been affecting black Americans for generations. They're really looking at it. And there are some real steps that are being made, even here in Colorado, for some major reform that needed to be done. What's the difference between this moment in time, Deanna, versus other moments when the wrongful murders of black people by the police drew attention and condemnation, but not any real palpable change for the black community? You know, I've been sitting with that question myself. <laughs> because when, when this happened and the protests started happening, the riots, and I, I had white friends posting and, and, and calling me and it was a little bit jarring, honestly, as a black woman, mm -hmm. because there was part of me that was rageful, like, why now? You're finally up to this? This is something that we've been witnessing for over 500 years. Mm -hmm. There's cameras now, and, and even, I don't know, what was it, a few years ago when there was just a slew of them that would pop up on Facebook, seeing black bodies murdered every day. But nobody was really coming out of their own comfort zone and their privilege to speak up. Mm -hmm. So at first I was, grateful, but I also was still a little rageful, honestly, because I didn't understand why this moment. But I think there's two things going on. I think that we have a younger generation that because of technology has a different connection with the world and has been exposed to a lot more than perhaps my generation would have been. I also think there's a deep spiritual evolution right happening right now. We are in the time of a great awakening. The veil has been lifted. There's no more hiding. I mean, not only with racism, but also, you know, we keep hearing about these different gurus who are these spiritual leaders who turns out they were, you know, this and, and mm -hmm. molesters. You know, um, we can look at people in our government and uh, uh, see the truth of who they are. So the veil has been lifted. So there's, an, there's a consciousness shift happening right now mm -hmm. in the world. And for the first time, I feel like there is actually hope for change. Mm. I don't think I've ever felt that I would see that in my lifetime, the beginnings of it even. Um, you know, I can only speak for myself as a black woman, but I'll say for the black community, you know, often we're like, okay, we're torn apart all over again mm -hmm. because this trauma exists, this intergenerational trauma. When we see this, it, it goes deeper than just one incident. Mm -hmm. But usually we think, okay, well, happened again. People that did this aren't going to be punished. It's gonna be the same circle that happens every time. There's not gonna be any justice. Mm -hmm. And people that claim to be anti-racist are not going to speak out. Mm -hmm. This time is different. And it's not just in the country, it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, 
even on the streets here, I'm in Los Angeles, and I think it was like five to one when it came to people on the streets as far as people of color versus white people. And there's part of me, like I said, that's jumping for joy and part of me that's kind of in shock. <laughs> that <it's happened. laughs> right, so, and I feel like it's a great opportunity. Like I said, it's, it's a rise in consciousness. So we're, we're all having the opportunity to really look in the mirror mm-hmm. and look at ways that we've all digested racism mm-hmm. we've, because it's systematic. Like you said, it's in our school systems. You know, babies are not born racist. No. They're taught it. But it's, it's beyond the parents. It's in our school system. It's yeah. in every institution in the world, but specifically the history of this country. And that's why it has to with the healing mm-hmm. of Black Lives Matter. It has to. It has to start there. There's so much healing to do the levels, but it has to start there because that is what the soil of this country is built on. It is. And uh, it's something that, you know, uh, as, I, as we were talking, when we were preparing for the, you know, the, the show and the, the material that we were going to cover and, and the racism that's inherent in the country, uh, I also have ancestors who I've come to know as well who are fighting on both sides, who fought for the South and fought for the North. Uh, and, and we're, you know, so there is a lot. It's much more complicated and complex. And this is something that uh, was ingrained in people. And as you talked about, kids don't, they don't see color. They like, you know, they just, they're playmates and people and they see them without that. And they actually have to be taught to, to dislike somebody based upon their color or diminish them or to say, well, they're not as good as us or we're superior in some way. We're, we're, we're better than that. And, and then people who are been, uh, of people of color who have tried to work their way up through the system and go through it, and they've done their PhDs, they got their master's degrees, they did everything that was supposed to, and they still are confronted with racism. I have uh, black friends that are liberal, I have black friends that are conservative. It does not matter, right? Racism is beyond political uh, parties. It doesn't, it, it's not... And we politicize it, and, that what's, and that's actually just makes it even worse. It doesn't allow us to really look at it and keel it and, and grapple with it and understand it and listen and learn. I mean, like one of the basic things is, is to understand is, is what is system, you know, systemic racism? What is it? How, you grew up in Minneapolis, uh, Deanna. What was that like? And how did you and your family – in your particular instance, experience racism or any of your relatives? What was, and what was that impact of having to face these obstacles uh, for yourself or for those closest to you? Well, I, I grew up in a lot of places. Minneapolis, I was there from the age of 8 to 14. Hmm. Prior to that, I was born in Las Vegas, and I lived there until I was 8. So Minneapolis, you know... Like you said, I know exactly the place, the spot that George Floyd was murdered. Because me and my best friend, who I always call her my sister, who is no longer with us, we would go to the gas station across the street because we knew there's always boys hanging out there to flirt with, and we thought we were cute. So we also knew, you know, there's never been a time, like, can remember that I was not aware of where I could go that was safe or where I couldn't go that was safe. In Minneapolis, over north and over south, the the brutality from police and just in general, Minnesota itself, there's always been racism. I remember I went to Oak Road Junior and a white girl had called my my girlfriend a bitch. My girlfriend beat her up. That girl's father, the white father, came the next day, and he is a part of the KKK. Wow. And it was like, to have a white and black day. Who was on the white side wear the white t-shirts? Who's on the black side with black t-shirts? I mean, this is in 14-year-old kids. This was normal. I remember being in... Oh, what was it? Was it fourth grade? Maybe I was a little bit younger. And an Asian boy called me a Chinese nigger. And I started being violent towards him. And the teacher did not give me a star that day. And I kept telling her, but he did this to me. He said this to me. And she 
dismissed that. She was like, that's no reason for you to respond that way, which mm -hmm. maybe she has an argument for that. But I was raised, if that word comes from somebody's mouth, you shut them up. Mm -hmm. That word is, I hear that word and I see a man lynched from a tree. Yeah. I hear that word and I see a woman with her body cart, pots cart cut up and put in jars to be studied. I hear that word and it's deeply painful. Uh, growing up as a teenager, I had a certain amount of privilege because I'm a light-skinned black woman. My mother is a dark-skinned black woman. When I was 15 and we'd go to the mall, she might go in one store, I'd go in the other, she'd come and find me. The sales ladies, white women, would be helping me out. She'd walk in the store, they would greet her and they'd follow her around the door, assuming that she would steal something. So, you know, and this is just, oh God, when I was in high school, there was a young woman, Jewish woman, Carrie, I won't say her last name, and we had snuck off to Tijuana, it was in high school in San Diego, lied to our mom, said we were sleeping at each other's houses, snuck off to Tijuana, came back, and we stayed at her friend's place. These were boys that had already graduated from high school. They had a house of their own. She was like, it's, we can stay there until the morning once we, when we came back early in the morning, but and then go home. Mm -hmm. Not only did one of the men try to come in and sexually assault me that evening, next morning, they were watching a football game. And they were in front of the TV, at the TV, and whoever the football player was, you know, had a fumble. And he started yelling at the screen, stupid fucking nigger, da, 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 da. And I looked at him and I was like, what did you say? He was like, I'm not calling you one. I said, I don't care, what did you say? And then he got enraged with me. He threatened to bend me over and fuck me in my black ass. He threatened to throw me out the window. And did Carrie say anything? No. Did Carrie do anything? No. I was terrified. I was shaking. I was cussing them out still. And I got out of that house. She later, later came out. I was like, so sorry about that. Never spoke about it again. And I never spoke to her again. There's been so many instances where my so-called white friends when they're really put in the midst of someone being racist, most likely someone they know, they do not speak up. Mm -hmm. It's more important for them to not lose their community or their privilege than it is to speak up for the life of their token black friend. And that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but, um, you know, my uncles, my uncles have, one of them dates white women and has, you know, has children and, and he got pulled over and threatened by a police officer with a gun, asking what he was doing with this woman, even though she was telling him like, this is my fiance, what have you. I, I, I can give you hours yeah. of instances of experiencing racism. And I think, I, uh, Deanna, that, um, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's important for people to hear, uh, you know, authentic, real stories, stories of where it's actually happened, not something that's been in the movies, not something that's been on a television show, because there is a disconnect that people have that that's something that's, you know, it's not real life. It's not people having to had to really experience that kind of virile, vicious racism that is, um, you know, it's so pervasive. And it contributes, in my opinion, um, to the perpetuation of it. Because when you deny something, you allow it to grow. Evil counts on you denying its existence. It counts on you denying it. It thinks you're too arrogant to know that, yeah, evil exists. And so it grows. And, you know, and that's how Nazism grew. That's how all these other things, they grew because people couldn't say, yeah, this is the truth. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Racism is prevalent. Racism is something that people have, the black community has been experiencing for centuries. And we need to, and we as white people, we need to stop it in our families. We need to start standing up in places and say, that's enough. 
We're not going to tolerate it. And it's going to be a moment-by-moment, step-by-step kind of a thing. Remember, this is a marathon race. This is not a sprint. It's not going to happen overnight. But we've got to be able in those moments like what you just shared and somebody doing that. I can't even imagine not somebody not standing up and saying, who the, heck are, who the hell are you saying this to her? What are you doing that? And, and we've got to stand up and, and in ways that we haven't done before. And, uh, and, and I thank you for sharing that because it, it just uh, breaks my heart. And I mm. – uh, Deanna, some real, like, you know, simple questions. You know, is it, uh, I mean, I guess to help people to start understanding and help them, is it, how, do you, people prefer in the black community to be called black people or African American? I mean, what's the, what's mm-hmm. the right way to be able to, I've heard both. And so is it, what's, what's your uh, think- opinion on that? For me, I prefer to be called black. And that's more of a, a political statement for me. It differs based on every black person, but the history of how we were categorized, right? Because there was no such thing as white or black. Mm-hmm. It was really created early on to justify slavery. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of immigrants, European coming in, and that's often an argument from um, white folk, like my ancestors were this, and, and they got treated like slaves. Not true. I'm not saying they didn't go through hard times. I'm not that they didn't struggle. They were not slaves. Like Italians. Italian immigrants, we had a hard time coming in, but we were not slaves. We, we didn't yeah. have that. They lived, they and were discriminated. Discriminated against in different ways and what have you, but the Huge. term white yeah. was created to unite the immigrants of lighter skin against the Negro, mm-hmm. Negroes, against the slaves, that automatically the illusion of this hierarchy that one life, white life, period, is better than black was a uh, uh, foundation to justify slavery. Mm-hmm. So even when we talk about terms of how black people have been categorized, went from Floyd to Negro to still nigger for some people's consciousness to pro-American to African-American all throughout there has been black, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a personal choice for different black people. I think African-American is the um, proper academia term at this moment. We'll see if it changes again. <laughs> But African-American or black, either one, I, I don't think it's offensive, mm. personally. Well, I think that's good. It's important for people to know um, because a lot of times they're so afraid to be able to even work. You know, I, I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to, you know, and so it's it's how you start the conversation. It's how you begin these communities, these difficult conversations that we have to have. You got to ask. And so and just being able to see how other people are doing it encourages you, gives you the courage to be able to do it yourself, folks. Um, yes, I encourage people, though, too, to be okay with saying thing. Yeah. That's what has to happen right now. Right. If you're more afraid of being called a racist than you are of black people being murdered, that's a problem. Mm. You are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. This is not about your ego. It's not about... Um, Oh, I don't want them to think this of me. We could care less, honestly. I'd much rather you ask ignorant questions and to come from an honest place of curiosity and wanting to learn than being politically correct, not really asking the questions you want to ask, Mm -hmm. walking away with not really learning anything, but feeling like you didn't rock the boat or you're not racist. Every person in this country has been tainted and is a racist. Mm-hmm. It's not possible for you not to be. It's been indoctrinated. Your mind has been colonized. Mm-hmm. And the, the first place, especially white people can start, is looking in the mirror, being really honest with yourself on how you've upheld this institution. Whether it be you not speaking up for your, your friends, whether it be you not speaking up at the dinner table amongst your racist family members, whether it be you... Um, 
uh, not admitting your privilege. And, and the biggest lie, the lie is the lie of separation. We're all one. Mm-hmm. But the biggest lie is that if white people lose their privilege, then something bad's going to happen or the races are going to take over. It's like, no. If anything, people that are not willing to recognize their privilege and that they're actually racist, they're the most enslaved minds there are. Mm. It will give you your freedom. If you finally own and use your privilege to dismantle the system, you will be free. <laughs> and that is true. And, and it's indicative of us to be able to have those kinds of deep personal self-inquiry, self-knowledge. That's the spiritual path uh, is self-knowledge and truth. And that's how we grow and that's how we transcend things like racism, which is a deep ancient trauma. It's a wound that goes very, very deep. And even in your family, uh, Deanna, doesn't your uh, your ancestors were were slaves, right? You had uh, your some of your grandparents were were, were were slaves here in America. Yes, my great great my great 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 great. I might just be a great great. <laughs> One of the greats. Um, that far removed. Yes, I'm Native American and and. Um, and slaves, which Native Americans basically were as well. There was a lot of mixing that happened then mm-hmm. um, because both were you know, forced to work. Um, but it's not that far removed. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my great grandmother, uh, poor in the South, and, you know, washed white women's clothes mm-hmm. and didn't have two pennies to rub together. Her children were always, you know, uh, instilled with pride and she was a very god-fearing woman i speak to her often in meditation and i'm grateful for her faith and her strength there's a long history you know i i encourage everyone to watch 13th by ava duvernay so you understand the systematic insidious insidious way racism has continued how slavery really hasn't really ended right? what what is is it a movie or is that a book it's a documentary it's on netflix Doc- called the 13th i think they're making it available even if you don't have a netflix uh-huh, okay uh and it's about the 13th amendment mm. mm-hmm. and the 13th amendment was a way to still ensure that you know black people were enslaved basically mm-hmm. So, you know, you might have been freed as a slave, but then it was like, you can't loiter, meaning if you don't have anywhere to go, we take you to prison. Mm-hmm. And then we work you in prison on the land, you know? And that you see in the 13th, or it, it, whenever you really read history, but the 13th is a great way to soak it up. That this is continued in laws, in our justice system, mm-hmm. in our pri- privatized prison systems, mm-hmm. in redlining, how communities mm-hmm. are set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have deep healing to do collectively as a black community as well, because we've swallowed the pill as well. There's deep self-hatred. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when you grow up in school and you don't have anything that reflects back to you history, and when it is, it's a page and a half about how you were a slave. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do children, how do ch- children aren't poured into? They're not taught that they're, they're about their greatness. They're not taught that they're equal. They're taught that this is where you started below so i mean there's so much work there's so much (laughs) there's so much and uh, you know i um i I want people to understand uh, and then i want to get us into some of the hope and promise and the things that are because it's important we're talking we're really digging into the the understanding the the essence the core the root of racism uh and but I, you know, what does it do psychologically and to a child, to a person growing up when they're witnessing? And we talked about this a little bit uh, yesterday about how it impacts them. So people can really grasp and understand the psychological impact that it does when you're growing up in a situation where you're looked at differently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can put that into words. There's an experiment that has been done. It was done, I think, I might mess up the, 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 the dates. 
it was back in the 40s and it was done recently in the 2000s. And they take kids, black and white kids, and they have a baby. They have a white baby doll and a black baby doll. And they ask the children, these children are, I think, older than six. They're pretty young. And they ask them, which, which, which doll is the nice doll? Which doll is the pretty doll? Which doll is the good doll? Which doll is the smart doll? And which doll is the bad doll? Both children, black and white, picked the white doll for the doll, the pretty doll, the good doll, the smart doll. Both black and white. Both black and white picked the black doll for the bad doll. It is so deeply rained early on that you less than, that you're not beautiful, that that you have to try to be like other in order to be accepted, that you're not as smart. I mean, these are things that are thrown at you. This is these are six year olds, both black and white. So, you know, it's like if you tell, if a mother tells a child every day, you ain't, you ain't ever going to be shit, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually, that child's going to believe that. Yeah. The effect it has on your consciousness, literally on your cellular being, we look at healthcare and we look at, you know, what the Black community is struggling with in healthcare, with high blood pressure, diabetes. All of these things mm-hmm. you know racism is a dis-ease it literally kills people if it's not a cop's knee on their neck it will get them eventually mm-hmm. black women have the highest rate of, of mortality infant mortality wow. there's been studies done showing that doctors believe black women can handle more pain this is rooted in slavery. I went to Duke University. They weren't letting black people into Duke until the 70s, which means the people that were on the board when I got let in, some of them were the same people that were saying, no, we will not accept. Meanwhile, Duke University is Duke University because of slaves working their tobacco fields. That is the history of Duke. It is, I don't wow. even know where to start. Wow. It's so complex. And when we can really, we have to own that it exists mm-hmm. and it exists within all of us. Whose knee do you have your neck on? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like we really have to do deep inquiry and make a choice that we, and we're seeing it, like you said, like getting into the hope, we're seeing with this consciousness raising mm-hmm. that people want different. People know, people are seeing themselves mm-hmm. in the other now. It's not just separate. One person's justice is justice as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited for what's possible. I am too, Diana. Can't go back to school. No, can't go back. we're not going to go back. We are not going to go back. And one of the things when you're talking about uh, the, the, the slavery uh, and the end of slavery, uh, one of the things that I want people to know too is our Memorial Day was formulated, was created by the freed blacks in South Carolina. That's where the date, the first really known like date where they were honoring the Union soldiers who had died. They'd found these Union soldiers, a little over 250 uh, Union soldiers that had not been consecrated in their graves, that had not been um, given the last rites. And so the freed black slaves there, they dug up and they created a cemetery for them. They buried the Union soldiers. And then 10,000 of the freed black slaves, they marched out. They sang hymns. They decorated. They threw flowers on these Union soldiers because they knew that they had died for their freedom. And they decorated. And there were so many. I'm getting goosebumps telling you. There were so many flowers on these Union soldiers' graves that they couldn't even see the ground anymore. And they were singing hymns and praises, and, and, and that was the original meaning, the original meaning behind Memorial Day. And that spirit of, 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 of community, that sense of brotherhood, that sense of unity that we all have, that we all share at the deepest levels of our existence, every now and then you see signs that you have episodes like that that remind us, oh, yeah. 
we're really one family. We're really one human family. We may have just come in with a different, different outfit, a different uh, you know, skin color, but that's it. At the core, at the essence of who we are, we're all really the same. And before we get into that, I think really uh, we get to the spirituality. Uh, Deanna, I'd like to get one thing because I know it's a concern for a lot of, of us white people out there is do we need to be ashamed of our whiteness? Is that true? Does the black community want us to be ashamed of our whiteness? I and mean, we didn't have any control of that either, any more than you did. Isn't it possible for both of us, blacks and whites, to be proud of our heritages, to stand for justice together, side by side, and honoring each other in those ways? When you say whiteness, to me, the only thing about whiteness is white supremacy. Mm. Now, if you were to say, aren't I allowed to be proud of my Italian heritage? Mm -hmm. Aren't I allowed to be proud of my Irish heritage? Whatever it is, my Scottish heritage, yeah. that's different. But white was created specifically to kill my people. So yes, in some ways, you absolutely ashamed of your whiteness, if we're defining whiteness as an actual real thing, mm -hmm. Because what is whiteness? It was white was created to ensure the enslavement of black people. Yeah. That's what white is built. <laughs> white is rooted in white supremacy. Yeah. Yes. I hope you're ashamed of that. Oh, yeah. That, as far as for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. I think, yeah. listen, that's something that is a deep core wound for us as black people in this country mm -hmm. is that a lot of us. A lot of our last names are still slave names and a lot of a lot of us can't trace back our roots yeah so not we don't want you to be ashamed of who you are mm. no we don't want to think of who you are as a person we don't want you to um feel like you can't enjoy your lives or feel like you need to walk around being like my ancestors enslaved you and i'm sorry we're not saying that. We're asking you to recognize, admit the truth, rid yourself of it relentlessly, search for the pursuit of justice, mm -hmm. and uplift Black voices. Uplift them. Listen. Mm -hmm. Uplift them. Because they have been silenced for centuries. Mm -hmm. This isn't about, this is the thing. It's like, we can, if we can all not buy into this lie of whiteness in itself mm -hmm. we'd be free like I said <laughs> earlier yeah, we'd be free. We'd be free. I had, uh, um, and I think what your point is is so on point. You don't have to be ashamed of of who you are at all. It's just let's elevate. That's part of the rise thing. Elevate everybody so they can be proud of who they are as well. It's not about that. I one of my um, uh, I think my mom's friend, uh, she has a, gran uh, a grandson who's a young boy, he's like six years old, and they were trying to explain to him about his, his uh, you know, what was going on and why it was happening. And uh, these are black children, you're white. And the little boy says, I'm white? Like, he didn't even know. He was like, that's what I am? He had to be told. It, it, children don't have that. They have to be taught this. And I thought it was so revelatory. And so we can rise above that. And that's what we, you know, we, you and I have committed ourselves to is this idea of rise, of, of rising above our limitations when it comes to race and breaking the trauma of racism in our culture and in our world. And in the beginning of the program, Deanna, I talked about, I spoke what rise means. And, and to me, it's essential. It's absolutely essential for us to be able to cross over and, and start judging each other by the content of our character and what's in our heart and what's in our soul. Deanna, what, what else can people do to rise? How does spirituality contribute and help us to break these intergenerational habits of prejudice against others? Hmm. I think spirituality, and, and you know, spirituality is, is word but your relationship with that which beats your heart and breathes you when you come in a deep relate with relationship with that whatever that is for you whether it be god the universe spirit nature 
when you come into communion with that, the deeper you come into communion, you recognize that you're not separate from it. And you're able to see that in every human being that you meet. So it starts to, when you deepen your practice, spirituality starts to dismantle the mind illusion, mm -hmm. right? It starts to open up our hearts so we can have more empathy. It also gives us access to ideas that we couldn't have po possibly of or gotten from a book because we're tapped in. Ideas that of a possibility for humanity. And it deepens our, I don't really say that, but deepens our empathy so that we want to learn. We want to learn what another has experienced so that we can hold space for that, so that we don't repeat it. Mm -hmm. so that they feel seen and heard so that they understand that you're not seeing them as outside of. Mm -hmm. So spirituality is really a powerful, powerful way for us to come in right and raise the consciousness global level. Mm -hmm. And that starts with our individual relationship mm -hmm. in the stillness whatever that stillness is for you, whether it be meditation, running, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Find that place where you know, like, oh, I'm beyond this human form. And my mission, I believe, all of us chose here to be here at this time. Mm -hmm. At this time. We came here with a mission, our souls did. So you're not here by happenstance. Nothing happens by happenstance. When you can start to connect to your mission, your mission is always in yourself. It's always in service. That is when we can really start to change the world. Oh, it's yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> it is. And uh, it's when we're able to connect to that larger scope and recognize that uh, this is something so much bigger than, than you and I. Uh, and we're here to do what we can to make a difference, to be in service to humanity, to be in service to the greater good of all. And when these traumas open up, and this trauma is a collective trauma, and it got opened up, you, you, when you have to expose the wound in order for it to be healed. But if you'd cover it back up again, it gets worse, and it just builds and builds and builds. And that's why we're doing this show to help raise that consciousness, to expand people's hearts, to open them up, th their hearts and minds to something greater than themselves. And Diana, you have gone, you're such, I, I can't believe this. We're almost to the end of the show. No, I can't believe it. <laughs> How did that happen? Um, anyway, I just want them to kind of, to, uh, you, you've gone through so much in your life and you've become this incredible transformational life coach or kundalini yoga instructor, an actress, a writer, a director. Um, what has kept you going? What has kept you going to, to, to reach this level of success and commitment and service to others? Because you're such an inspiration. You know, when you asked that, the first thing that came up to me is my granddaddy. Mm. He, who also grew up in the South, with, went to the Air Force, had four children, built a beautiful life for him, and has such legacy. He always, he was my first introduction into faith, spirituality, through Christianity at the time. He was the first person that always told me, Diana, if you put your mind to it, you can be, do, and have anything you want, whoever you, you, you want to be. He was a little bit disappointed when I chose to be an actor, but he still put <laughs> me in that. And, mm. you know, I think every child is one they want to make proud. And for me, it was my granddaddy. Mm. And he just really taught me what it was to live in integrity. And, um, yeah, I think it's for him. And because I, I do believe, I believe that each of us can make a huge impact on the world. Mm -hmm. And that's important to me. It's important to me to leave this world a better place than what I came into. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you're right. We all do need that one person uh, that who inspires us to, uh, to keep going, to uh, gives us our why. Because uh, we're going to hit those troubled spots. We're going to hit those obstacles in life, those challenges, those initiations. 
Uh, and how do we meet that challenge? How do we, how do we confront uh, th- those obstacles in our life? And they call upon us to choose our better nature or our worse nature. And it's being in the moment. It's recognizing right now is this moment that I get to decide how I'm going to respond to what's before me. I get to choose that. I'm the one, and that's the power of choice that we have right now to make a difference in this world and in our communities and in our families to rid us of this plague of racism that has been a part of us for too long. It's time to go. Um, Diana, we have uh, just a couple minutes left. I'm going to go over just a few more minutes, if that's all right with you, because I want to, because yes. <laughs> I want to get your perspective on what is possible, what is possible for all of us, because I think I want to leave leave everybody with a vision for that future of what that new Earth could be like. Uh, what does that paradigm? What does that paradigm look like for you? That looks like the end of our minds being colonized so that our souls free. It looks like us recognizing that we're not separate from the earth, the planet we live on. So it's not just white supremacy, human supremacy is gone as well. We're recognizing that everything is one. It looks like seeing ourselves and each other and treating each other that way. It looks like the systems that are in place now have been totally dismantled and we're putting in systems that contain spirituality, um, trauma therapy, um, a healing aspect and really teach people how to love themselves. I see that as part of our educational system, understanding that love is a verb. Mm -hmm. It looks like people really, really tapping into their innate power, their innate potential and leaning into that more than their probable selves. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty great. I think that's a beautiful vision, and I, and I share that vision with you, and I know so many people who are tuning in and listening out there also share that vision uh, of a world that uh, is there for everybody, and our potentials, that which grows within you, that which enlivens you. Uh, is able to flourish and grow and everyone is able to to live out the lives and the dreams that they have in their hearts and their souls that they came out here to live and to to really embody the the truths that all men and all women are created equal and it's just about us being able to fulfill that promise that it was guaranteed to us by our creator god the divine gave it to every single human being and we need to stand up for that and live that truth and embody that. And you do that every day by the choices you make in your life and recognizing that all life breathes together. You cannot escape from that truth. That's a big truth. All life breathes together. And in, when you get that and understand that, we make healthier and better choices. Uh, I just uh, want to thank KUHSDenver.com for hosting the council here in Denver, Colorado. Thank you, Henry, so much for all that you do for us here at KUHS Denver. We couldn't, this wouldn't be possible to have this show without you and all the wonderful folks here. So many great VDJs and programs here at KUHS Denver. If, Uh, You want great music, other great talk shows, uh, personalities that are on here serving their communities, doing amazing work and uh, making great music around here, too. Uh, So tune in uh, and listen. We're broadcasting not only here in Denver, but all across the nation, all across the world. The council is being listened to by people in almost 40 or 40 plus different countries. Thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in. Deanna, before we close, I can't believe we have to close. Um, we may have to do this again in, uh, in a few weeks and continue I'm the conversation because it's fantastic. It's a marathon. It is a marathon. So. Um, I always ask, um, first of all, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to work with you for, uh, for life coaching, transformational coaching, or uh, yoga training, if you want to do the kundalini yoga. So please share that. And also, I always ask before we close, uh, all my guests, if you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? Mm. 
Well, first, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Kate, Jess, for having me. Um, this has been great. Too little time, but a great time. Uh, less grateful for this opportunity. Best way to find me is uh, on my website that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. I have a long name, but you never forget it once you type <laughs> it in. So that's www.diananicolebaxter.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Diana, D-I-A-H-N-N-A, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. Um, and that's where you can connect with me, whether it be through the yoga, transformational life coach, as well as um, my upcoming projects as a director and actress. And what was the question? One piece of advice? One piece of advice. One bit of wisdom. Uh, from your life experience, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Tough. When you take a hundred a hundred percent responsibility for your life, life gets easier. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Diana, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. You are a gem. You're incredible. Um, it's uh, such an honor and a blessing to know you. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the council. We are adjourned. We will be back next week. We've got a great guest coming in. He's coming in from all the way from Australia. Uh, We're going to be doing some shamanic work on the show. So tune in next Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time to the council. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Council is adjourned. God bless everyone. Surprise, I must say, cause I never had